0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Marketing, Management, and Money. Uh, This is Ethan Miliori. I'm here with uh, Ryan Murray, the author of the book, uh, Startup Marketing, and uh, the main guru behind this podcast. And uh, today, we're going to cover another section in his book, Chapter 5, which is just all on market research. Now, uh, I know, you know that I love market research, which is, so this will probably be my favorite chapter of all of them. I, I was going to say, I kind of expect that you're going to jump in with some stuff that's not it, in the book. Nope, <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: It'll happen. You say nope now, but as we get
0: talking, it, it'll the, happen. The only thing I would probably bring up because when the book was written, um, like chat, GBT, and some of those other AI type scrollers out there, they didn't exist. And so Uh, if I was going to talk about anything, and maybe we'll get into it maybe towards the end of our conversation today, that's what I would probably bring up because they're changing the way that market research uh, is currently potentially being done and I think will be done into the future. So uh, when I wrote the book, I was very
1: specific to keep it uh, non-specific to a type of market research because... Market research that works for one type of business isn't necessarily what's going to work for another type, and I didn't want to lead everyone in one direction and say, "Oh, you know, if you get analytics, that's the way to go," or "If you use AI, that's the way to go," or "If you hire a firm, that's the way to go." It, yeah. it really depends your industry. So, uh, I, I like I like kind of what you're talking about here. Why don't we Why don't we talk about the concepts in the book behind market research, and then maybe we can, since we're Built doing some it. commentary. Uh, we can just talk about... Maybe you know, how AI is slipping into
0: this, some of that. Or just
1: some pros and cons of different uh, different types of market okay. research. Well,
0: let's start with... Because um, I like how you start this chapter out talking that there's, there's good, bad, and ugly when it comes to market research. And then you start out with that example of the failure rates of businesses. Yeah. Okay, that, you know, it's common out there, 80% of small businesses fell within five years and blah, 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 blah. But when you actually... Uh, start looking into some of those details. There's actually other words that are used, not not necessarily failure, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you look into it, it's it's interesting that uh, the SBA and some of those other ones talk about maybe not failure but survival rates. Mm-hmm. And so you hear re- really really <clears throat> common terms, only to find out that hey, wait a minute, it's not completely accurate. But over the years, it's become skewed, and that's I think that's where you start. Your book saying, "Hey, when it comes to market research, you really have to understand it because it gets skewed really easy." So, uh,
1: I, I want to. I'm going to bring in kind of a personal example here. Uh, when I took my college stats course, I one of the things that we studied and it was very eye opening to me uh, was how deceptive statistics can be. Oh yeah. And uh, there's a really famous book. I think it's called How to Lie with Statistics, <laughs> if I'm getting the title correct. Um, I statistics were a lie. <laughs> and and so the the way I'm introducing this chapter, I'm really trying to bring to people's attention because I'm assuming that people reading this book, uh, I mean, they might have a background in statistics, but most entrepreneurs didn't necessarily study t- statistics. Correct. And so, for them, they may or may not be familiar with some of the nuances in statistics. And so, the uh, um, the the idea is to say that with, um, you know, with statistics. You've got to be really careful as to how you're interpreting the data because you could have the same data and get two very different interpretations of that data. And that's where this good, bad and ugly concept comes from is I've seen a lot of businesses that will grab onto data. They have a confirmation bias. You know they're they're looking to uh, confirm that their idea is great, and so they only want to listen to positive data, right? Or they, uh, you know, they they catch or latch on to one piece of data that is makes sense to them, and they tend to ignore some of the more complicated to digest pieces of data, uh, you know. And, and so there there's really a lot that goes behind the scenes when when looking at data, and. And I think, I mean, not to not to launch too deep right off the bat here, but I think that's my my whole argument against secondary research is that unless you really understand data points and how to use data and how to correctly interpret data, uh, you're going to get in trouble with secondary market research, uh, you know. And so I, I see a lot of times people they'll do this. Oh, my gosh, drives me crazy. It'll be like, okay, you know, I went on U.S. Census, and in the United States, there are seventy million people who subscribe to magazines. So therefore, if I could only get one percent of them to to subscribe to my magazine, that would be, you know, and then they do this this calculation yeah. of it, it. I I would have a two million dollar a year company, and, and I'm like. It doesn't work that way. You can't take a really big number and then say, I only need 1%. I only need 2%. Like it doesn't work that way. And so, you know, that that's the big mistake in using secondary is you get these really big numbers and you start making some just baseless assumptions because you're taking only a small percentage. And I'm like, no, there's a lot of cases where you get 0%, where, <laughs> you know, every, <laughs> like magazine subscriptions, are people even still subscribing? <laughs> Have they just not canceled their magazine subscriptions yet? And that's why there's 70 million. And no, a lot
0: of a lot of baby boomers still like the magazines and the newspapers. That
1: That's true. But what I recommend that your startup, you know, is going to see success just because, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying now,
0: with secondary research. Now, before you go too far down that road, because I know we'll cover more about the nuances of market research, I, you kind of break it into those three categories, good, good bad, and ugly. Mm-hmm. But I want to start with the good, because the vast majority of market research is good. The information is good. It tells us something that's good. Um, but what we find is then it becomes bad because it's misinterpreted, it's misunderstood, well, and and one thing that we need to
1: point out, and this is in the book, is when you talk about filler.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's filler and, in there.
1: Good. And so good point. When when you're saying that the vast majority of it is good, can I clarify that that the vast majority of it is accurate, but that right. doesn't necessarily mean that it's useful for your business. And so, yes, I do say good, bad and ugly. That's kind of just to be a little bit cliche. But the better way to say it is, you know, that the vast majority of market research is accurate, but most of that is not useful for decision making in your business. And and it becomes a lot of filler. And you need to be careful of filler, especially, if, you know, you're in the startup phase here. And so, you know, I see startup businesses, they want to put a lot of graphs and tables and figures into their business plan because they're trying to make their business plan look legit. They're trying to go after funding or they're trying to get, you know, partners on board or, you know, and so they want to look legit and graphs look legit. People look at them and they're like, oh, wow, that's pretty. That looks good. Oh, you've done your research. You know, I'll hear that comment when someone like thumbs through three pages mm-hmm. of, you know of graphs they don't look at a single one and they're like yeah you've really done your research i'm like no i've just filled it up with pictures like <laughs> that doesn't mean i've done my
0: research so so i do want to make sure that listeners know that that even though we're going to spend the majority of our time probably talking about uh those little things to watch out for with market research that um don't don't not do how do i say that correctly don't yeah. not do yeah. Do not, uh, non. Uh, yeah, don't do st- your st- research. <laughs> don't stray away from the research because you're afraid that you're going to get something that's going to throw you away. Still do the research, right?
1: And what you're saying is what I'm trying to get at in the book. Do the research. Don't grab other people's research. Primary research, research yeah. that you go out and do will have so much more value, especially for your startup. Because an existing business already has primary research that they use all the time, and they don't even realize it. Where's that primary research? It's hidden in their financial statements because they're going back and looking at their financials and saying, oh, look, sales spiked right now. What did we do? That's primary research. Or they have a customer database of existing customers that they're already working with. So they've got a lot of primary research. They don't call it market research, but that's exactly what it is. And so when an established company is supplementing what they already know with some secondary, some outside research, that's a great combination. But a startup business doesn't have all of those primary data points. They don't have, you know, three years of financial history. They don't have a customer database to go off of. They don't have, you know, this Knowledge base of uh, employees that have been with the company for a decade. They don't have these points to draw from, so they need to create these points. And so that's really, if you want to sum up section five, it's go out and do your primary research, and that starts with the customer. It starts by talking to the customer, getting to know the customer, understanding their wants, their needs, their concerns, their frustrations. You know, if you're only getting positive information, you're either not asking good enough questions or they're not being honest with you because there's something they don't like about it. And so, you know, you've got to build that relationship with the customer in the primary research stage. That's what startup marketing
0: research is all about. And to strengthen what you're saying is Fortune 500 companies actively spend it's not uncommon for them to spend $25,000 a year in understanding their customers and, I, other I think various that's an under, and that's on the low end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's they, cause they understand that rule really well. Now I, I put on the table, yes, I get that they have a, a smaller department with people who are, you know, filtering over the data and pulling out the nuggets and, you know, and or going out and specifically asking for very detailed studies and surveys to be done to better understand it, where in a st- startup business, it's you, it's the owner that's mm-hmm. going to have to do that one. But the point that I love is that if a, if a Fortune 500 company sees that much value in it, that tells you that there there's value there. You need to dedicate some of your time to be doing that as as an active part of your business. Well, and look at these big tech companies. What are they all
1: after? They're after data. Data of what? Consumer behavior. Oh, yeah. That's what they're after. And the biggest companies in the world are fighting for that information. Now, that might seem daunting to a small business. that They're like, there's no way I can keep up with these massive tech companies. I'm like, you don't need to keep up with these massive tech companies. You need to keep up with your customers. And that can be an in-person conversation that, uh, you know, and we talk a little bit about surveys. Um, surveys are fine, but they're not great. And, and so I would spend more time getting personal, sending out samples and then doing a follow-up. What did you like about my sample? What did you not like about my sample? And, you know, getting as close to your target market is possible when you're doing primary research, you might have to start with whoever you can get. You might say, "Hey, mom, will you you know will you try this out and she's not likely your target market, but it gives you a base to build from and then you can start branching out now, if you listen to our commentary on section four where we were talking about how sales come before the launch using the startup marketing philosophy. You have some sales prior to actually launching your business. Those sales should be opportunities for you to start doing market research. Every time a sale comes in, when you're a startup, you really need to analyze where did that sale come from? Why did they make the purchase? What are the competitive advantages that you have for these initial sales, pre-launch sales that are giving you, amazing feedback and information about your customers.
0: Now, the first mistake you kind of cover in the book that an entrepreneur will make in the startup phase is that they obviously have some experience in the field or industry that they're going into. Otherwise they wouldn't be going into it. Mm -hmm. So when all of a sudden they pull some market research and if they're not sure what they're looking at or it feels like it's too much, what do they do? They start guessing.
1: Yeah. Um, guessing and, and that's,
0: can go South really fast.
1: It, it, it almost always goes South. Um, so put some, put some checkpoints in there. Uh, if you're the owner and you're making all of the decisions, uh, allow someone else to come in and make some decisions and see if they come to the same conclusion that you do. Right, And so if you have a management team, if you have employees or if you have partners, those would be the people that you would use. If you don't, if you're a solopreneur, then you're going to build an advisory. And I, I didn't cover this in the book, but every smart entrepreneur should have an advisory team. And it's amazing what lunch will get you. Like you buy someone lunch. Oh, yeah. You you will get more off of buying someone lunch than you will paying them in the startup phase.
0: Yeah, you you and I have, uh, in our other parts of our lives, have always argued that uh, more money happens on the golf course or at the lunch table than in an office. Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, And so if you've come to a conclusion, get someone who is knowledgeable, trustworthy, and that has some buy-in in your success – Take them out to lunch. Don't give them your conclusion, but just ask them to draw a conclusion. See what they come up with. Now, they likely won't put in the same amount of effort that you will, and they likely won't have access to the same amount of data, but if they're completely off course of what you're thinking, you need to validate further before moving forward. If they're validating what you're saying, even to, you know, a small degree, then that's that's a good validating point that you're moving in the right direction.
0: Now, I'm going to put this nugget in there for those that probably don't know, which I think there are a lot. Um, when it comes to market research, uh, most people think, well, I'll just go do a Google search. And I'm like, that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's also entities out there like the Small Business Development Center that they have. Uh, people inside of that network that just do market research. Mm-hmm. They don't. Uh, some of the some of the counselors are able to help you to uh, decipher that research. Um, some are not, where you're going to have to do it yourself. But there's a and a lot of times they'll provide that market research for uh, really low cost and sometimes even free. So so that's one nugget I throw in right now is that if you if you're looking for market research, there are in Entities out there like the Small Business Development Center that will help you do some of that.
1: Well, and I think it's worth uh, two points on that expanding and realizing that. uh, So you've got Small Business Development Centers that will do that. Uh, You've got SCORE, SCORE, the Women's Business Business Center. uh, The SBA has some Some. good, even online uh, stuff that you can pull. Uh, Most universities and colleges will have uh, some level of, uh, yes. of research that, you know, that they can provide. Uh, you get into like the Edward Lowe Foundation, Economic Kaufman. Gardening, Kaufman, yeah. you know. So there's a number of, you know, uh, of options out there. But the thing I really want to point out here is not only do they provide quality research at a very reasonable price, uh, up to free often, but they also provide some interpretation of
0: that data. Which is what I really like. Yep. Because if you're if you're inexperienced in business, meaning, you know, hey, I have a skill set in making widgets, um, and I've never had to do market research, it's nice to have someone coach you through it in the beginning. Because once you kind of know what to do, in future years as you need market research, now you kind of have the pattern in which, hey, this is the pattern I need to follow in order to, to, to weed out the filler, decipher what these numbers mean or what's coming in so that I can, can make it in, uh, into research that is meaningful for me and my organization. And, you know, we previously
1: were discussing getting an advisor and taking them out to lunch. This qualifies. This is an advisor, and this is someone who does research. And so, you know, there are a lot of resources and options out there uh, that you can do, and even if you've already done the research, you can still reach out to some of these organizations and get some feedback, get some validation on your interpretation of the research.
0: So while we're still on this subject, um, you talk a little bit about you know going out and getting paid market research, and and I don't say that you're gonna say no, but you kind of uh, you know put your thumb down, like nah, it's not. At I don't highly stage. recommend it at this stage. Correct. Um, even though. Uh, Some of it might be valuable if you have some of the resources, but um, anyways, you talk a little bit about, hey, you know, try to stay away from it just because, you know, there are some nuances and it is expensive. It can't, well, can be.
1: It can be. So most of the time, startups are just not ready for it. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually very useful and very helpful, but One, it's very difficult to get uh, paid research that's going to make sense when you're in a startup because you're pivoting so much. You're still trying to figure things out. And so, you know, you'll, you'll hire a company or a firm to do some market research. They get back to you in a month and you're like, oh yeah, we actually decided to go in a little bit of a different direction, but thanks for that research anyway. And let me have to pay for it, even though it's you know, So th- th- there's a lot of pivoting that goes on in the startup, uh, which makes it hard to use paid research because they do take some time to get that research put together. Um, you often don't know what questions you're asking for. And then the other thing that happens a lot is that when you get the the research from a paid firm, it's usually so deep that you're not in a position to do much with it. And so, you know, keep the research at a level that you're going to act on it. And that's why I really hit on that primary research of getting to know your customer. You directly get to know your customer and understand your customer uh, because you're going to act on that. You know, if your customer tells you what they want to buy and you go out and make it and sell it to them, well, then you're already making sales off of that. But if a market research firm, they give you a ton of data of like a way that you can penetrate into a new market, but it's going to require a six-month strategy, that's usually too big of a bite for most startups. Yeah,
0: I agree. Now, you've, we've talked a little bit about the primary, secondary. So I want to jump into, all right, so now that we have some market research in front of us, how do we use it? And you cite two examples that startups should learn from when uh, using that market research. And the first one is just like a corporate chain store. The second one being, you know, a franchise type of an organization Mm -hmm. as they go down that pathway. So let's talk about maybe those two for a minute and the advantages and disadvantages or the lessons to be learned from those two models. So... This hit me, um, and I apologize, this statistic
1: is from back when I was going to school, and so I'm sure that the numbers are, you know, they've changed over over the years, but when I was studying entrepreneurship in my MBA program, and the professor, he cited a statistic that any franchise model that has been a model for 12 years or longer had a 93% success rate. Um, And like I said, this is a few years ago, so I don't know how that number has fluctuated, but okay, let's say it's changed a few percentage points, the concept is still there, that it's significantly more successful than just startups. And the reason why is because franchises have lots of primary data points to pull from. They have multiple locations. And so in the book, when I talk about the corporate model or the Mm -hmm. franchise model, it's the same concept. It's saying, you know, if I have a corporate chain that's going to launch a store in one city and then they're going to launch another store in a different city and they're going to launch a third store in even another city... Every single one of those are going to give them data points, and they can now cross-compare those data points and find out what marketing works the best. They can do A-B testing. Uh, They can really dial in and hone in on what they're doing. So the challenge for the uh, startup marketer is that they don't have all of those data points. Well, you can create that type of model to a degree, you know, like you're not going to have a bunch of franchise stores that you can compare data against. But the idea is to say, how do you get out there and start to create multiple test grounds, multiple ways to cross compare your data points? And the more you can cross compare, the more that those data points can intersect, the stronger that data is going to be, and the higher your success
0: rate starts to go up. Right. Uh- So let's jump and cover a little bit more about secondary data as you're talking about this one, because um, primary data is sometimes hard to come about. Mm -hmm. And and there's always, 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 always secondary data out there. Mm -hmm. And, And you make a very clear point that is important for people to remember, and that is secondary data was generally created for someone else who wanted to know something. Yeah and too often we forget that or don't realize that when we're looking at secondary data right and and because of it um it becomes potentially for us as you call it bad data mhm bad market research mm-hmm. and it leads to all kinds of problems um so um i don't know uh, if there's any more that i would say cuz you actually <laughs> summed up like that's exactly what it is is
1: you know Note that that data was put out there for someone else's use, some other purpose. You're trying to retrofit it to your own purposes, and you need to be careful that it doesn't become misleading or bad data.
0: And and that's and and to make the point clear, you you talk about that. It, it's interesting that two companies in pretty much the same. Uh, geographic, demographics, sociographic type industries, one can fail miserably and one can be totally successful. And Mm -hmm. why is that? They're selling the same product at the same price point. Well, because of how they interpreted the data and how they focused it. Mm -hmm.
1: And, and I think, so I want to segue a little bit here because we, uh, we mentioned at the first that we we're going to talk about different types of uh, ways to gather data, and I think that this is going to really hit home with what you're asking on the secondary data. So, you know, we've got AI that is really, well, for the first time, has become a consumer option. Right? Like, AI's been there. You know, AI is not new, but the consumer availability of AI is very new. And so I can go out and I can use AI and I can gather a lot of information and I can get very quick results off of AI, which is pretty impressive. But, uh, you know, we were talking offline uh, in preparation of this one and you were mentioning how when you start looking at AI, you feel like there's some clear year uh challenges with it like if oh, you yeah. if you want to look at you know certain time periods there's just not the information that there would be for more you know more modern where there's a lot more data that's flowing and so depending on what you're researching just because ai is amazing doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to give you the results that you need and so i would never advise anyone to hang their hat on one form of secondary research like don't just go to census.gov and i bring that one up because that's in almost every business plan i've ever seen you know there's great data in the u.s census but if that's your only source then that's poor market research Um, don't just use ai don't just use your website analytics or your social media analytics you know you you need to look at uh, some cross-referencing. Um, but here's the other thing that I'm gonna say when it comes to various types or, or ways to get secondary and or primary. You know, I mean, this really doesn't uh, distinguish whether it's secondary or primary. But uh, unless this is what you do, unless you're like a market research company, Uh, you need to limit where your expertise is. Uh, I would advise, you know, get really good at interpreting the data from one, two, or three sources. Don't try and interpret the data from 17 sources. You know, and so if you're if you're pulling some some online analytics, like you know, if there's a social platform that you're good at, uh, you engage with your customers or your potential customers. Great, pull the data from that, but don't pull the data from every single social media platform just because it's there. You know, do the ones that you're engaged in, the ones that you're good at, the ones that you're going to get that
0: feedback from. Uh, a point that as you were talking, that I. Uh, remembered about a comment that you made about primary market research is that when you look at larger corporations or franchises, uh, the reason why they're really good at their expansions is because they already have multiple stores that they're pulling data from. Mm -hmm. So they understand their markets really well. And so they're looking for other markets with those same characteristics before they expand into them. But at that same point, if I'm looking to do a, a startup business of a certain nature I love that theory that, wait a minute, why don't I figure out other locations similar to mine that I can visit or reach out to stores or someone else in there and pull data from them yeah. that will help me here? Because a lot of times we don't, uh, you know, we're really not competition for a, a, a gas station in Colorado, Right. right, right. Okay, a, a gas station in Colorado is not competition for a gas station in California. Right. So, if, if I want good data, there's nothing that precludes me from reaching out to regions similar in other locations where I'm not competition. Because you'll really be surprised at what people will tell you. Oh yeah. And it, especially when someone gets a little bit bored and they want to talk to someone, they they'll they'll just go off like crazy and tell you all kinds of data points that now you can say, okay, hmm, interesting. Hey, and this other guy told me this, Hey, there's a correlation. Okay. There's something to that now.
1: So, so funny story. Um, you know, so you're using the example of gas stations and I'm sure people are listening and they're like, well, okay, sure. That's a gas station in Colorado, California. That makes sense. But I'm online. I'm global. Well, I'm going to give you, uh, this actually happened to me. So, you know, I run a training company. It's an online training company. So people can go online, they can download my content, and they can do it from anywhere. So you would think that any other training company would not want to talk to me because they see me as a threat. Well, I literally called up one of my biggest competitors And I was just talking to them and I said, tell me about your training program. And he went off he told me all sorts of information. He let me know, you know, what, uh, what their sales had been for that training program the previous year. He let me know, uh, like the direction where, like he didn't use these terms, but he let me know where on the product life cycle it was. It was between the maturity and the decline stage, uh, because he was just telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, we really ramped up early on and it was doing good and it was growing. And then we kind of plateaued for a little bit. And, uh, and you know, and then he, said, he's like, and we're, we're not going to revamp this training program. We're just going to let it, you know, run its course. And I'm like, okay, you just told me where you are on the product lifecycle with your training program. And, um, and then he gave me some customer insights about some trends that they had seen over the years. Cause his training program was a lot older than mine. It had been around for, you know, at that time a couple of decades when mine had been around for a couple of years. And you know, he was happy to share all that information And so, you know, to your point, yeah, you can go out and ask and you can ask people uh, and not everyone. I mean, there are some people they won't even pick up the phone or they won't even return the text or whatever. But there are lots of people that are happy to share insight as to what worked from them. If you can't go directly. So let's say that, you know, I call this guy about training programs and uh, he's like, I'm not telling you anything. Well, then I would go out and find someone else who does online business, who, you know, sells a service and maybe they are in like medical coding, which has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, fin- small business finance training. And I'm like, Hey, how's your medical coding business going? And then we can collaborate and share ideas and concepts and give each other market research.
0: Yeah. Another fun, when you get bored, another fun one (laughs) I like to do is if you just Google, uh, business expansion failures, I mean, it will bring up examples from like Coke and Levi's and I mean, there's, and then what's nice about them is they've done some really, really good case studies on them Mm -hmm. that you can kind of read through and say, Oh, I see why they did this one. And sometimes you're like, well, that's a no brainer. What were they even thinking? And it's kind of interesting that large companies still make some of those mistakes just because I go back to that, that previous, uh, word guessing, or I know my industry, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We Arrogance gets in the way. And so, you know, customers are going to just love this one because I love it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but so there's some fascinating case studies, but in kind of wrapping up this chapter, um, uh, what I take away from it, and then you add your two bits as well, um, is that you got to keep in mind that market research, um, most of it is accurate, um, but it becomes bad or ugly when we don't know how to use it correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not able to d- uh, determine that, does this really apply to our market segment and our geographic, demographic, sociographics, etc. And so it gets us in trouble, but, um, another piece is always primary is always better than secondary. Um, if we can do our own primary research or find, uh, other people who, um, and I say other people who have done primary research, meaning it's the exact same because sometimes you'll confuse that with secondary research, right, right. but I still see it as primary research when it's apples for apples. Um, and there is some secondary research out there that is apples for apples. So hence it, it really kind of becomes primary research yeah. because it's so applicable um, and then of course, um, is just interpreting the, interpreting that if you have questions or concerns about it, get opinions, mm-hmm. you know, and don't, and don't uh, look for affirmations, right? You know, we're looking for opinions and discrepancies. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge believer that, you know, if everyone's always a yes man, our business is going to fail long before, um, it should because, yeah. because no one's going to argue points that are going to allow us to look at things from a different perspective that are going to make us more efficient, more effective and question whether what we're doing is best for the organization. And that's the same thing you have to do with market research is come with that same approach of um, asking those hard questions. Is this accurate? Does this apply to us? Well, is this number, uh, can we actually use this number or is it skewed? Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh I think you did an excellent summary
1: and I kind of appreciate you bringing in, you know, I know we're we're doing some commentary on the book start marketing, but uh you know, you got a lot of background in the market research so I appreciate you kind of bringing in some thoughts uh that maybe aren't covered directly in the book. Uh, the thing that uh I would just add to your thoughts is if I've done my market research correctly, there is a path that I took and that I can take again and that someone could follow. And so, you know, if someone's like, well, how'd you come up with that conclusion? I could show them how I came up with that conclusion. If I can't do that, if I can't show someone, you know, so so if they ask, they're like, okay, you know, you're, you're doing some R&D on, uh, you know, a new product. And they're like, well, why are you doing this product instead of, you know, these other two that you decided not to pursue? If my answer is, well, we just kind of felt like this one would be good. There's no path, you know, but if my answer is. We did a focus group. You know, we sent out prototypes to uh, these people. This was the only product that everyone came back uh, either neutral, positive. The other ones, there were some some flaws. This one came back positive, but the, it was cost prohibitive. And so we decided to focus our efforts on this. And i mean, like, oh, that's duplicatable because I could go out and send out more samples and deepen that research if I still wanted to. And so, you know, I would just say, make sure that those are the type of decisions you're making in your startup. Uh, I know it takes longer, it's uh, more challenging, but you want to
0: make your mistakes in the startup phase, not in the launch phase. Okay, I was going to close this section out, but I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, because <laughs> something you said uh, hit me pretty profound, and that is when it comes to market research, if it's too good to be true, it is. Yeah. And I don't think we address that. And so let's let's take, uh, I don't know, just a few sec, well, a minute, a minute, just reiterate that point because a lot of people see that something's too good to be true and hence they just go barreling down that pathway to get burned. Um, and then and then we'll wrap it up because um, I know in, in your section six is where you're going to tie all this together and build, you know, and build that foundation. And so, but if it's too good to be true, it is. So this is what I look
1: at. Um, a lot of times people, when you're in the startup phase of the business, you're not going to make money right off the bat. You lose money. And that's kind of an understood. People expect that it takes some time for you to make money. Why is that? Well, one of the biggest reasons is that you don't have efficiencies built into the process. So you said, you know, if it's too good to be true, you need to look at your, you know, your your sales projections. And if you're looking at those sales projections and you're just killing it, there are, what, 8 billion people on the planet? Maybe 9 billion. I forget how many. There There are billions of people on the planet, which means that someone's already thought of this idea, and if if it's as amazing as you think it is, someone beats you to it. And so you need to realize that ideas are difficult. They're challenging to get out there. They take work. That's what separates you from those other 8 billion people yeah. is that you're willing to take some risk. You're willing to put in some work. And so, yeah, to your point... If I'm looking at, at at financials and I'm seeing that the sales forecast off of my uh, startup is just through the roof and I'm like, well, oh, I'll be millionaires next year. Like, no, uh, you you won't because someone else would have beat you to it if it was really that good of an idea. doesn't make it a bad idea and it's still worth pursuing most of the time, but it's going to take some work. And so I like to, you know, run the, the financials. I haven't said this directly, so I'm going to say it directly now. Part of your market research needs to be financials. Oh, correct. correct. And and so if you think that marketing and financials are two different things, there's a whole chapter on cash flow. You know, And people are like, well, why are you talking about cash flow in a marketing book? And I'm like, because some of your best market research is going to come from the financials, the financial forecast, the financial analysis, the financial trends. All of those things are market research. And so, um, you know, when you're saying too good to be true, I'm always going to bring it back to the financials. I'm going to look at those numbers. And if the numbers are too good to be true, then I'm going to question where did my research go wrong? I'm going to bring in some advisors who are going to help me find why, why I'm being overconfident. Uh, you know, and I could go off on a whole new, well, but we I, won't. Well,
0: well, and I'm glad we went down that rabbit hole because you brought out some great points of... Uh, for consideration and application. And so um, I think it's going to, I really like some of that commentary because it strengthens a lot of what you've said in the book. Mm-hmm. So with that, uh, appreciate everyone being with us today. Glad you could join us uh, in the next one. We'll wrap everything up with that section, section or chapter six. I forget what, I think they're all sections. Chapters, sections. They're sections. Yeah. Okay. Section six in the book um, where we tie it all together um, and conclude from there. So thanks for joining us today, everybody. Take care.